we are kicking off our, our annual relationship series, Fighting Fair, Disagreeing Without Destroying. Now, we all have disagreements. We all do. With our, with our spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, parents, coworkers, the president, whoever you've got a disagreement with. We all have them. But you know what? We tend to fight dirty. When it gets bad enough, we fight really dirty. We shout, blame, accuse. We push, shove, hit. We play really dirty. And, you know, and all the while, we're destroying our relationships. In the moment, it feels like it's the right thing to do. It feels good, but we are destroying our relationships. So, you know, after, after some couple decades of talking with couples, with my wife and I, a lot of couples, a lot of families, I have developed a completely unscientific, unsubstantiated test to measure the health of a relationship. Okay? No scientific basis whatsoever, other than just years of listening to people talk. And here it is. Okay? Don't tell me about how much you love each other. Don't tell me about your shared hobbies. Don't tell me about how great the families are or how great the sex life is. None of that. Tell me one thing. What are your fights like? I can tell you the health of a relationship based on what their fights are like. Are they calm, respectful, peacemaking? Or are they all-out, bare-knuckle fistfights? Sometimes metaphorically or sometimes literally. So what are the fights like? And so I've developed that, that little test, and so that's, that's what I ask people about. Um, and so this issue, or this series, we're calling it Fighting Fair, because we fight dirty. And I want to make a call for us to fight fair. Let's take seriously God's calls and commands and expectations for his people, for his followers, in how we relate to other people. Because, man, there's, there's an amazing thing that, that you have probably experienced this either firsthand or secondhand. That in our families, whether it's with our parents, our, our spouses, our kids, we say things that we would never say to someone else. We have heard from people some of the most horrific things that their parents have said to them or they have said to their kids or they've said to their spouse. Horrible, hurtful, soul-crushing things. And we do that to our families. So I think it's time that we learn how to fight fair. And this is the beginning of this six weeks where we're going to talk about relationships and fighting fair. So today, today we're going to talk about our words. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about communication, forgiveness, uh, anger, spiritual warfare. But today, let's start with our words. Because every fight, every argument has words. That's kind of what starts it. It may not end. It may end in cold shoulders, but it starts with words. So let's talk about that. So I want to ask you, how do you use your words? How do you use your words? Well, for me, I'm generally pretty good with my words. 
Okay? I don't attack a whole lot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a shouter. Uh, that's not really, that wasn't my family of origin. Uh, that might have been yours, so that might be a little bit more your style, but it's not particularly mine. But there's one word in my entire life that I regret the most. One word said in anger in one fight that has haunted me and will haunt me the rest of my life. It's probably the, my biggest regret um, in things that I have said. I, I was in fifth grade. I was in the middle of a fight uh, out on the playground with one of my classmates. And, and we're shouting like fifth graders do. We're saying things back to each other. He, he, he looks at me, well, you're, you're ugly. Well, you're stupid. He goes, well, you're fat. And I turn to him, well, you're a Jew. And to this day, I, I'm just horrified that somewhere in me, that was seen as an insult. Somewhere in me was these, these seeds of this anti-Semitic rant against a classmate of mine. And, and I, when I think about it now, I'm just, I, I, I cringe. Even telling the story, I cringe. As man, did I get in trouble after that one? And it's horrible. But I wanted to hurt him. I wanted to show, I wanted to put him in his place. I wanted to show him that I was better than he was. And somehow I picked the worst possible insult I could come up with. And it's, it's something I regret to this day. So how about you? How do you use your words? What are words, now, now what are your words like? And I'm not talking on a normal everyday basis. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the fights. I'm talking about the arguments. What are your words like? Um, now, so, so I want to ask you a few questions to give you a little, let you self-assess here for a sec. So, in a fight, in an argument, have you ever done any of these things? Have you ever used your words to make yourself look better? Maybe you get defensive you make excuses. Maybe you, you bend the truth a little bit. You throw in some alternative facts, okay, to make yourself look a little better. You ever done that? How about, how about use your words to make the other person look or feel worse? You blame, accuse, bring up the past, bring up past wrongs to try to put them in their place, attack them verbally or physically, or maybe you, you withdraw your words to punish the other person. And you withhold your words. You give them the cold shoulder, the silent treatment, as a way of punishing them for whatever they did wrong. Those are all ways that we use our words unfairly. Now, when we do this, we often, we'll often make excuses for ourselves because we have to be able to justify the things we say. No one shouts out something terrible to someone else and says, hmm, the next morning, I'm really glad I said that. That has done a, that has done a wonder for my relationship. <laughs> no. <laughs> we all have that yesterday moment where we wake up the next morning or a couple hours later and, and we regret what we say, okay? So here's some of the excuses. Let me see if any of these, if you've ever said yourself this or said it to the person that you were just shouting at. Well, I didn't really mean it. I was just angry. Or, you make me so angry. 
I just can't control myself. Or I had a bad day. Or I was drunk. Those are all kinds of excuses we use to justify the words we say. But there's one common theme in all of that is it's not really my fault. There's some external factor that forced me, it drove me to do and to say something that I didn't really want to say. It's not really me. And those are all excuses that we use. Okay? But what if, what if we could move past the excuses? What if we could come up with a better way to talk about talking? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to fight fair. Well, there is. And thankfully, the Bible talks a lot about talking. The Bible talks a ton about how we use our words. Uh, Johan read one of the Proverbs. There are multiple Proverbs written about how we use our words. Jesus talked about how we use our words. The Apostle Paul wrote about how we used our words. Jesus' brother James talked about how we use our words. It's all over scripture. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at one passage, one of the things that Jesus said. It's, it's one of my favorites. A couple of the Proverbs are from my favorites, and then this one's probably my favorite out of the New Testament, talking about words. Now this one is out of Luke 6. It's a section of scripture commonly or traditionally referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Now technically though, it's a better translation of like Sermon on the Flat, the Flat, outcropping among a group of rocks, but that's a little wordy. So, Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Plateau, and it's interesting when you read this in Luke 6, it sounds a whole lot like another section of teaching in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you're familiar with that. When you read Luke, you're like, wow, there's a lot of stuff in here that kind of sounds like the stuff in there. So, some scholars actually believe that it was the same event. Um, and that's part of why this sermon on the, the plateau among a ro rocky outcropping could have still been a sermon on a mountain. So some scholars will say it was the same event. Luke just records some of it a little differently. Now, some scholars will say, no, these were two separate events. I tend to fall a little bit on that side, um, but as a former high school math teacher and a current teaching pastor, I know every good speaker reuses material. So I just think Jesus reused some material across a couple different audiences. But is it really all that important? Eh, we'll leave that up to the, the academics. But it, it, it's a, a sermon whose big theme, the big theme of this sermon in Luke 6, was that our faith should be reflected in how we live. Seems simple enough. Our faith should be reflected in how we live. We should be living out the stuff we talk about. And that's the major theme. But here are some of the things that Jesus says in, in Luke 6. He says, love your enemies. Don't judge and condemn other people. Do forgive and give to other people. Pay more attention to your own sin than someone else's sin. And then live out the stuff Jesus says. If you hear stuff, you got to live it out. You can't just ignore it. So those are some of the, some of the themes. See the, this big theme about living out the faith you say you have. And now we're going to look at one little section in the middle of it. Because in the middle of all of this, he starts talking about trees and fruit. Which is, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. 
uh, but it actually makes a whole lot of sense. So we're going to start with Luke 6.43. You can follow on in your Bibles, on your phones, on the screen, on your tablets, on your watch. Follow on anything. If you got the New Testament tattooed on your arm, go for it. Okay? So you can follow along here. So this is Luke 6, 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Okay, we'll kind of pause here. Now, he starts with an agricultural metaphor. This is something very common that Jesus does because most of the people were farmers. They all knew trees. I have never planted a tree. I have never pruned a tree. I picked some peaches off of a tree, and that's about it. I'm, I, I'm such a city boy. I'm still amazed that, like, you could put little things in the ground, and food shows up later on. Really? <laughs> like, I could just put stuff on the ground, and I could get carrots and, and lettuce and stuff? That still amazes me as a city boy, okay? So, but to the, this was very normal, and this is not particularly profound stuff. If you think, if we were to just stop here, you're like, uh, well, duh, okay? If you've got, like, a good, healthy tree, it's going to give good, healthy apples. If you have a diseased, nasty tree, it's going to give diseased, nasty apples. That's fairly straightforward. And then the other part really, really stretches the brain. Oh, wait, you mean, like, apple trees produce apples? I thought apple trees produces peach, man. No, apple trees produce apples, okay? So he starts with stuff that everybody understands, Everybody understands this, at least back then. I think generally, I know a lot of you have probably done farmer's market with your parents, or maybe you're, you're carrying on the legacy, and so, so you, you get this idea about farming. Now, let's keep going, okay? So now, but fundamentally it says that if a tree is healthy, it produces healthy fruit. If a tree is unhealthy, it produces unhealthy fruit. And also, you can tell what kind of a tree it is by its fruit. So that's a little summary of, of what we've got for starters. So now, we also know that it's not always that simple. If, if, you've, ever had, if you've ever planted, done farmer's market, anything like that, you know, sometimes a good-looking tree or a good-looking um, bush can produce some bad apples. We planted some tulips in our house of, at our previous house a number of years back, and man, that first, we planted the tulips at that first season. We had some great-looking tulips. They were like, okay. By like third year, they were like, by fourth or fifth year, they were. It was so. Yeah, we, we joke. Papa and I have the black thumb of death. We do not have a green thumb. We have a black thumb. We will kill anything that we touch. Okay, and but but so so sometimes we know it's not always that simple. But as a big picture principle, this is always true. Whole crops of trees, individual tree with individual fruit, sure. But whole crops of trees, generally, this is very true. So now he starts with the agricultural metaphor. Then he moves on and he extends it to talking about people. Let's go on. A good man, a good person, brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. Or an evil, and an evil man or an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. So just like a good tree produces good fruit, now he says we're the same. People, we're the same as that. That you want to know someone who produces good stuff, that means they've got good heart. Someone who produces evil stuff, that means they have an evil heart. That, that it's the same, it's an evil person with an evil heart. 
Now, what's interesting about this part is we learn one more piece that he didn't say with the trees. Notice with the trees, he said nothing about roots. But here, now he tells us. Now he tells us the key to the good person, good fruit, good tree, good fruit thing. It comes from the heart. The source of this is our hearts. Just like the source for the trees, it would be the roots. So he extends this metaphor a little bit and adds a, a really important piece for us to understand. That the good and the evil that comes out of us, it comes from our heart. And now, and then he, he wraps up. He hits it home. He hits it with this big statement right at the end. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our words come from our heart. They don't come from our circumstances. They don't come from the argument. They're not from our anger. They're not from our spouse. They're not from the fight. They're not from the stress. They're not from the alcohol. Our words come from from our heart. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And some of you are full of it. Because okay? you've been making excuses. You've been making a lot of excuses for the things you say. And you are lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself when you dismiss your angry rants, your name-calling, your hurtful words, your judgment. You're lying to yourself. Because you know what? We're all full of it. We just don't want to admit it. Because it's scary and it sucks to admit that. That we're full of that much evil. It's much easier to say that the circumstance drove me. I'm generally a good wife, good husband, Good son, good daughter, good young. I'm generally good. I just had a bad day. That's a lot easier to stomach at night rather than saying, man, my heart is evil. My heart is selfish. My heart is messed up. Now, if all of this, all of our words are caused by our heart. So, so if this, this principle, if this were a BuzzFeed headline, this is what it would look like. In one sentence, Jesus crushes all of our excuses. Click here. <laughs> it's true, wouldn't it? That's exactly what it would be. Shared across, across Facebook 4.2 thousand times. Okay? Vetted on their new headline section. Because it does. Jesus' statement that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, it crushes our excuses. Our excuses cannot stand up to Jesus. So remember all of the excuses? Remember the ones? I didn't really mean it. You make me so angry. I couldn't control myself. It was, I had a bad day. I was drunk. All of those excuses, they're all lies. They're all lies. Because you want to know the truth? You say angry things, because there's anger in your heart. You say hurtful things because there's vengeance in your heart. 
You say selfish things because there's pride in your heart. And we ignore that because it's a lot easier to sleep at night if we just said we're a good person who has a bad day now and then. And so all of this, all this can be summarized because we don't want to believe a deep truth that Jesus is talking about here. The words you say during a fight were in you before the fight. The words you say during a fight were in you before the fight. The fight didn't create your angry words. The fight didn't create your desire for vengeance, for punishment. That was already in you long before the fight. And that's, that's what we have to believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay? We want to believe we're a good person, a good boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? The Bible teaches consistently from beginning to end that we are rotten to the core. That we are sin-filled, selfish people. And we will choose self-centeredness every time, left unchecked and living outside of Jesus. We will choose that every time. We cannot pretend that we're kind of okay. okay? And we can't fix it. We can't fix it. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Can't do it. So that's why the idea of fighting fair has to begin with you, Jesus, and your words. It has to start there. Because our words come out of our heart, and only Jesus can transform our heart. Or in the coming weeks, I'm going to share with you some skills that will help you. They will help you communicate, help you ask forgiveness and receive forgiveness. But skills can't change your heart. Only God, through Jesus Christ, can do that. And that's where we have to start. Begins with you, with Jesus, and your heart. So I'm going to give you a chance here to pray with me, to pray to God for your heart. And so I've got three prayers that we're going to walk through here, and all depending on where you are in your spiritual journey. You can pray one, or you could pray all three of these prayers. But the point of this is I want to give you a time to go face-to-face -face with God and confess, which just means admit the truth about who you are and the help you need from Him. So, so we've got, I've got three prayers here I want to walk through. So the first one is going to be a prayer for a renewed heart. Because some, some of us just feel like we, we need a, a fresh start. Can we just hit the reset button? I need my heart to be renewed. So that's going to be the first pray, prayer we pray. So second, the, the second prayer is for some of you, you've been away from Jesus. You've, gone, you've tried to do life on your own. And it hasn't been working out all that well. Maybe it's gone really bad. You've driven your life into a ditch. Or emotionally, you're looking good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying in a pile. 
And maybe there was a time in your life where Jesus felt closer to you, but that time is no longer. So there's going to be a time for you to come back to God, to kind of recommit, to say yes to Jesus again. And then there's going to be a third prayer. And this is if you've never really said yes to Jesus. Jesus can't renew your heart. He can't transform you on the inside unless you're in relationship with him, unless you've said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And I want to give you a chance to do that today. Because you've been working really hard to be good and try to fix the stuff that's, that's messed up in you and try to hold your tongue and try to be a better son and a better daughter, but it's exhausting doing it all by yourself. So we've got three prayers here. Um, and I encourage you, we're going to do this. Oh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> and we're going to actually, we're going to pray this out loud. Okay? So first, this is a prayer of renewal. It's going to be up on the screen, and we will recite it. And prayer as, pray as you feel led. If you're not feeling led, that's okay. Don't feel the social pressure because the people to your right and left are talking, and you're sitting awkwardly. Pfft, forget them. This is you, God and your heart. So this first one is, is actually, it is a prayer right out of scripture. And it's from Psalm 51, which is one of the, the best confession restoration psalms out there. And this was written by a guy who just got an, another man's wife pregnant and then had her husband killed. And then he got called out on it by a religious leader. This was King David in the Old Testament. And this was the psalm that he wrote after getting called out on his sin. So here, if you're feeling like you need a renewed heart, this is your time to pray to God. Okay? So I, I'm going to start, you, you guys lead, and again, we're, we're doing this out loud. That's one of the cool things about having a little smaller of a building is we can fill this sanctuary with your prayers. And God is listening. So if this is you, if you want to pray this for a renewed heart, pray with me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Amen. If you read that, I encourage you, um, and uh, sorry, that's actually not 1 through 12, uh, so I, my apologies, but it is Psalm 51. I, I encourage you, read, read all of Psalm 51. Um, that'll be a great one for you today. And now, I want to speak to another group, and maybe this is you as well. You can pray all three of these, that's okay, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But maybe you're far from God. Maybe you're really far from God. Maybe you've been far for a while. One of the things I love about River Life Church is we have a whole bunch, even a majority of the people in this room right now, have not, were not attending church prior to River Life, which means it might have been a long time since you felt really close to God. This is a prayer for you. If you want to make a decision to be like, okay, today's the day. I'm putting my foot down. I'm drawing the line in the sand. Today's the day where I want to say, okay, God, I'm back to you. I turn back to you. I commit my life to you again. I'm tired of doing it on my own. 
God, it's time for you to be my leader. So if that's you, here's a prayer that you can pray. Uh, You can pray along with me just like we did. Dear Jesus, I confess that I have turned away from you. I want to recommit my life to you, purify my heart, make me new in you. Help me to become the person you created me to be. Enable me to live a life pleasing to you. And in your name, amen. That is the beginning of God reestablishing a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. And if you prayed that prayer, that is the beginning of you reconnecting with him. And lastly, lastly is a prayer for those of you, maybe you've never really said yes to God. That doesn't mean you didn't go to church. You could have gone to church years and never made that personal decision. That, and you might even call yourself a Christian because that's what my family's Christian. I've always gone to church. But I want to challenge you. Have you made the decision to make Jesus your own Lord and Savior? Not your families, not your churches, not your parents, but yours. And if you haven't, today's a great day. Today's a day to do that. Because he wants to transform you. He wants to give you a better marriage. He wants to give you better relationship with your parents. But he needs to get into your heart. And that requires a relationship with him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our sins. That's what the Bible calls sins. That's the stuff that has messed up our heart, is sin. And he provided forgiveness and restoration. New Testament actually says that you can have a new heart. The Old Testament describes it as instead of a heart of stone, you can have a heart of flesh. You can be made new in Christ by saying yes to Jesus. And if that's something you want to do today, here's the prayer for you. So join me as well as we pray this. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Now, if that is a prayer you prayed kind of for the first time in your life, New Testament actually says that angels are celebrating in heaven for you because you are now part of the family of God. You are God's adopted child. That's one of the languages that Paul uses in the New Testament for those, for Christians. We are adopted, not just adopted children, we are adopted children of a king. And that's King Jesus. So if you prayed that prayer, I want to I talk to you after service. I would love to say congratulations, to pray for you, to hug you, and and celebrate along with the angels for you. Now for all of us, are you willing to commit for the next six weeks to fight fair? Let's put away the dirty tricks. Let's set aside all of the anger, all of the reactionary responses, all of the stuff that we do to hurt someone else, Can we agree? Can we set those aside? 
at least for a few weeks, and make a commitment that you're going to learn how to fight fair. Because you know what? I'm tired of seeing relationships being destroyed. I'm tired of seeing husbands and wives hating each other. You know what's a lot better? Watching husbands and wives love each other. That's a whole lot better to sit across the table from. So I'm tired of seeing, seeing young couples just killing themselves with their words, hurting their people they love. That's the most amazing thing, is we do this to people we say we love, and yet our words are laced with anger and resentment and judgment. So join me five more weeks for a commitment to fight fair. And it begins with you, Jesus, and your heart. Because remember, the words you use in the fight were in you before the fight. And Jesus is the one who can take those words out of your heart.